What's up, everyone? Um, welcome to the Baseball is Back edition of Nerds on the Black. I'm Zach Gifford here um, with Birds on here with Birds on the Black blog. Um, we have baseball for now. Uh, week we're a week into it. Uh, I don't know that we're out of the woods uh, with the Marlins testing. MLB recently announcing um, that there might be double headers starting in August. We will see where things go. Um, but for now, baseball's back. We're going to talk about it, and I will be joined by Jeff Jones today. Um, so we'll we'll get this thing started. Jeff, um, thank you again uh, for joining me tonight on such um, late notice. But we do have some exciting news on the baseball front. Um, Rob Manfred, I think, it recently, sorry, your screen's a little, I don't know what happened when I switched windows here, so we'll fix that real quick. Um, wait, it was recently, I just saw it on Twitter as I was tweeting out, actually, that we were going live. Um, they're talking about uh, double headers beginning, seven-inning double headers beginning on August, potentially on August 1st. I assume that's to try to help uh, make up games with the Marlins. So before we get to uh, the little bit of news that you broke a few minutes ago, um, what are your thoughts on um, possibly seeing double headers in, major league, in the Major League Baseball season? Yeah, so uh, first and foremost, I'm happy to be here. In fact, thrilled because the alternative uh, under my quasi-traveling bubble in Milwaukee is to stare out the window in my hotel room, so this is a much better alternative. Uh, the So the, the seven-inning doubleheaders are for sure in place because both the Marlins and the Phillies are going to miss a week of games, essentially. Uh, and so if we're still laboring under the belief delusion uh that, that all teams are going to play 60 games this season and you're going to have to figure out ways to jam those games in for those teams and that probably means a lot of double headers and so you know i i understand certainly the uh the impetus to move to this i, I know it's a rule that's used in the minor leagues uh, and and you know i think probably to limited effect and in, in terms of the way that it affects uh games competitively but it's going to be an adjustment. It's a season of adjustments, right? Like everything that we're seeing in baseball right now is unusual. Uh, so why shouldn't there be something else that that's out of the ordinary? Yeah. I think, like you said, it's all been unusual. We have the DH and the NL. I I'm at least thankful that we have baseball. I realize, um, you know, that there's, you know, there's definitely some bigger issues. So, um, you know, we hope that they can keep playing. We saw it like you said, with the Marlins kind of being being knocked down, this is kind of to accommodate them. I did see that there's potential that teams play less than 60 games. Um, so, like, you might end a season with, you know, maybe the Marlins playing 55. Your screen's kind of moving around again. I don't know what this is. So, sorry, guys. We're working through. I always have technical difficulties, so this is nothing new. But usually they aren't when I'm live. Um, it, it's definitely been definitely been different so we'll see but you know i hope that they can get through the full season or the full shortened season um but we'll see we'll see where it goes um good life sean our mlb standing is going to be by win percentage or total wins it's definitely going to be win percentage um if they play slightly yeah. less than 60 if they don't get anywhere close to 60 then i'm you know who knows um but it's definitely gonna be a winning percentage. well that was that was the case in 81 as okay. well yeah, in, in 81, where you had the season that, that was cut in half by the strike and you had some teams played uh, an unequal number of games, that's when you had that sort of I winning percentage as well. And so that, the precedent for that is set. Um, I, I do think that they are going to go out of their way to get as close to 60 for everyone as possible, if for no other reason than the TV contracts, which are the whole reason the season is being played in the yeah. first place. Uh, and those are predicated on a certain number of games, and those were negotiated for a, a different number of games. And so, you know, I don't I don't know how much... Fox Sports Florida is making <laughs> off of Marlins games, uh, oh. but they're going to want to recoup it, and that's that's going to be a big driving force Hopefully in getting those they games played. Are making more than the Marlins do with gate receipts, uh, based on the background that you usually see there. They would have to. Um, yeah. So back to what we were talking about just before we went on. You were doing some hotel sleuthing, um, trying to figure out who was where. Do you have any uh, 
any news that you want to share on that front? Yeah, this is this is where this is where it's come down to is looking at a live stream of a baseball player in a hotel room trying to figure out which hotel he's in. Uh, yeah, so uh, Dylan Carlson this evening. Uh, was on a live stream for pack opening and I guess I'm talking about his baseball cards or the card collecting company um, appeared on that live stream to be in his room in Springfield like grabbed a couple of items from the room that you know I, I wouldn't think that Dylan Carlson if he were to be called up to Milwaukee would bring a box of autographed baseballs with him uh, he had one of those in his room in Springfield that he was showing off for the guys in the stream uh, but more to the point I, I, I spoke to a source yesterday was going on and they confirmed that dylan is in fact still in springfield uh so given that the cardinals play a one o'clock central game tomorrow it's a nine hour drive from springfield to milwaukee and there's just no universe in what commercial flight uh under these circumstances no. if dylan were going to be driving from springfield to milwaukee he would have done it this afternoon he didn't uh so he will not be in the lineup the Cardinals tomorrow. It's a it's a longer drive if you run into the rush hour traffic too. So hopefully, um, nine hours I think is probably the low end estimate there. Um, yeah, and if you timed it poorly, you could hit two rush hours. You could hit St. Louis rush hour and Chicago rush hour kind of on the way up. Yeah. Uh, sorry again, guys. I don't know why this window keeps resizing, but we will push on. And luckily, it's I fine because the branding's. The branding stays in That's, place, and it, so we're it's good. So My weird. Is Everything not, is except a... one window is staying normal. So, uh, just kind of typical, typical me having technical issues. But um, so speaking, moving from Dylan Carlson, I know. So I was hoping, obviously, to see him. Um, I thought that they were going to bring him up for Game Six, regardless of how the outfield, um, how the outfielders were performing, because of the service time issue. So for I. You know, people probably know this by now, but you're getting kind of prorated service time. Um, you know, if you play 90% of the season, you're going to get 90% service time uh, or credit for that season, however exactly that works. I thought for sure that once Carlson was not going to play enough games to accrue a full year, that they were going to bring him up right away, which in this case um, would have been for game six tomorrow. Um, instead, you know, he's likely staying in Springfield. We have Bader uh, performing pretty poorly out, um, at least it offensively performing poorly so far. We're only talking five games, but it hasn't been a good start. Um, Dexter Fowler did a little bit, but he's been kind of down, I think, the last couple games as well. Uh, and the team doesn't seem uh, too uh, too much of too much in a hurry to push Lane Thomas. Or I think we would have seen him, um, you know, in the, one of the last couple of games. Uh, he did get a, he did get one start. Um, in game three, I believe, but it wasn't, um, there hasn't been, you know, we expected to see him in game five and it didn't happen. So with the outfield performing as it is, there's at least a little bit, I would say disappointment, uh, from my end that we're not going to see Dylan Carlson, but what's your take right now, um, on the Cardinals outfield situation? Um, and apparently everybody's going to see a circus in my bottom left. Uh, that's fine. Um, What's your take on the card? So, I, I, you know, we've seen O'Neill obviously has the two home runs, uh, drove a ball to the warning track the opposite way in Minnesota on Wednesday evening. And I, I think that O'Neill has performed, I don't know, to, to expectation, I think, would be what they would say, sort of what they thought yeah. that he would be. Um, the question about Thomas is an interesting one because when you look at, I mean, again, we're, we're talking about five games so far this season, but if you track back to last season as well, for whatever reason, it's clear that 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 Mike Schilt has some hesitancy to put Lane Thomas in the lineup, um, and and so for whatever reason that is, and, and whether or not that's justified, it's one of those situations to see that. Or you, it's it's clear that 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 for whatever reason that Lane Thomas is not going to get maybe this, the the number of of opportunities as was advertised, um, and so the question is, what do they do? Uh, I think you know you're looking at. It, uh, you're looking at the Brewers tomorrow night starting Brett Anderson, who, or tomorrow afternoon, sorry, starting Brett Anderson, who's a left-hander. Um, so you, again, would see some opportunities, perhaps at DH. I I don't think that they would sit Matt Carpenter two days in a row, two games in a row, rather. Uh, the thing that we don't know is if Carpenter is still dealing with some soreness from the foul ball he took over the weekend. Now, he did play Tuesday in Minnesota, sat against the left-hander on Wednesday, Um if he doesn't play again tomorrow, I think it's fair to wonder if there's some residual soreness going on there that maybe has him uh, more down than they're acknowledging. 
But I, I think that I, in, in terms of what tomorrow's lineup looks like, I think you will probably see Lane Thomas, especially given uh, sort of what Bader looked like in Minnesota and the fact that, you know, that, that Matt Wieters took a pinch hit at bat instead of Bader late in the game, uh, in the eighth, I guess it was, on, on Wednesday night. Maybe they're starting to trend that in the other direction. Um, and so maybe you'll see Thomas get a few more opportunities. Maybe you'll see even Austin Dean yeah. sprinkled in once and again. Um, I think that, you know, the, the X factor here is Fowler. And the, the question is whether or not they would be content with last year's level of Fowler performance uh, in, in, in having him in the lineup. And the answer, I think, is that they would if they were also getting performance and, and, and getting, getting, you know, getting numbers from center field. Right. And this is this sort of harkens back to that situation that Colton Wong may have found himself in like 2013, 2014, when Mark Ellis was getting time in the lineup for <laughs> inexplicable reasons. And it was because the offense was not coming from elsewhere. Uh, and so Wong was the guy who suffered. Now, if Harrison Bader becomes as productive an offensive player as Colton Wong is, then the team would be overjoyed. Uh, and I don't know that that's particularly likely, but it's a, I just mean that it's a similar situation in that Bader is the guy who doesn't have control over his playing time. And I think they'd be more willing to carry, you know, sort of a naturally age progressed Fowler than Bader, who has not looked good at the plate at all. Yeah, so far and I this think season. for me, one of the, Kyle Reese has pointed this out a couple of times and I'm looking up something on Fowler actually right now, but Kyle Reese has pointed this out a couple of times where it seems like Mike Schilt has some Matheny-ish tendencies to stick with the veterans when they're slumping. So um, I think with Fowler, we saw it a little bit last year, even though his average was down, but the overall line because of the walks was okay. Um, he got off to a good start this season. We'll see, you know, how, that, how much that carries his strikeouts, you know, we're a handful of games in, but he has struck out a decent amount. Um, but so is the whole team, quite frankly. So except for Tyler O'Neill, which we'll get to him a little bit too. Um, I think, you know, it's, I, I think they're going to play Fowler. I don't know that they should. I think they want to squeak a little more value out of him for the money that money that they're paying. Um, and so I think if Carlson does come up, it's going to be, you know, they're going to try to put him in center, try to get by with, you know, a less, um, you know, maybe a less good defensive outfield, but I mean, Tyler O'Neill is a good defensive left fielder. I would say Fowler's, you know, below average, right. And so can Carlson can be average in center and you can kind of hold it kind of piece that outfield together and hopefully get more at the plate. I think um, that would be my hope, but to the extent that you're going to see, you're going to be rotating between Bader yeah, and Thomas, I, I think, you know, I think either way, um, you know, neither of them is going to be that great of an MLB hitter. I think Lane Thomas might, you know, might squeak out to be average, but I don't know that there's a whole lot more there um, over, you know, kind of more extended plate appearances than, than what we see from, you know, a guy like Bader, maybe, maybe he's a little more contact oriented than Bader is, you know, maybe he strikes out a little less hits for a little less power, but I don't, I don't know that the overall um, package ends up a whole lot different between the two of them. Now saying that right now, Bader's obviously, it seems like he's totally lost. So just getting basically a non pitcher um, in the lineup would be a step up from what he's done so far, but uh, it, it's tough right. for sure. Yeah, I think so. And the thing, the thing to say about Bader too, for, for Wednesday's game, at least is that the argument for Bader for Wednesday was not that he like crushes left-handers. The argument for Bader was that if, if we accept that he is a superlative defensive outfielder and he is the extent to which he's that much better than Lane Thomas is maybe up for conversation, but he is obviously he's extraordinarily good in center field. If you have Daniel Ponce de Leon pitching to that twins lineup in that ballpark, guy who eats on high fastballs against that lineup, you need guys in the outfield for that game. So I do, I do understand the logic or the, the argument for putting Bader in, in center for Wednesday night's game. And I don't, I don't think it needs to be about the offense. I think the argument for putting Bader in center for that game is about the starting pitcher uh, and, and, and about what that looks like. Now, what does that mean for Milwaukee? Because you're talking about having Flaherty on the mound tomorrow uh, who, you know, who you should not be worried. I, you should not be worrying about the defensive alignment behind Flaherty, I guess is the way that I would put it. You have Hudson put pitching on Sunday and presumably Wainwright pitching on Saturday. Uh, Hudson obviously trends heavily toward the ground ball. And then with Wainwright, sort of who knows at this point. Um, but I, I, I do think that 
you know, you could see a situation where if by all by all appearances, Dylan Carlson is not going to be here this weekend, it would not shock me to see Wayne Thomas start two of these three so games think, in Milwaukee uh, in center. Cardinals Gifts just mentioned this in um, in our comments. Do you think that playing Edmund in right field, um, DHing Fowler and putting Carpenter at third, so basically basically switching out the defense of Fowler for the and right for the defense of Carpenter at third. Do you think that that um, with the same pieces would be a slightly better defensive team, or um, you know, does it for for most of these starters does that not make um, too much of a difference? Because Edmonds been so far good wherever he's played, so um, he's definitely a step up. But you lose that at third, then. Yeah, I I think that I think. Yeah, I think you. I honestly, I think in that alignment, you probably get worse at two positions. Um, well, Edmund has been good in the outfield. Fowler has also been fairly good. Like I know, I know that the outfield average numbers are not kind to him. I know his range is not what it used to be, um, but he definitely is a guy who. I mean, he's he's got the instincts for the outfield. Right? He's played out there for his entire career uh, and and does so confidently. Like I never, I never, I, I cannot recall seeing Fowler take a route to a ball where I'm like, I don't understand what he's doing. I can't recall seeing seeing Fowler make a throw to the wrong bag or, you know, or to the wrong cutoff man or whatever. And, and so maybe you're not going to get like high ceiling potential with Fowler and right. Um, but I, I, I think getting adequate performance with Fowler and right. And then the transition to third from Edmund to Carpenter is just, I mean, it, that, yeah. that's a huge downtick. I, I think you just lose, you lose a t- with that. Uh, and that doesn't seem worth it. And I think, and, you know, for all of their protestations about how they're going to rotate guys through the DH slot, uh, this, this, from summer camp heading into just to, to a week into the season now has been a really good abject lesson in <laughs> ignoring what they say and watching what they do. And what they have done is put Matt Carpenter at DH and not bother with the pretense that he's going to play the field much at all. And it's the same deal with the rotation, right? Like they say, they, they said that, you know, where they were strongly considering Kim for the rotation and then that, you know, he was, he was part of that conversation, but it sure doesn't look like it because he did not crack the initial five or the initial six. And I don't, I don't think he's the next man up. Even I think the next man up is probably Austin Gomber. And if not Gomber, then, you know, you look at the fact that, that both Alex Reyes and Genesis Cabrera threw at Springfield on Ponce's start date. That was not an accident, right? Like that's by design. So either or both of them could be available for the next turn to the rotation for that spot. And so given that KK is that far down the list of, of starting options, then that shows me that they are not super confident in his ability to face a lineup no, two I or three times in a given night. With with KK, if that's um, because the bullpen right now is down Gallegos um, and down Alex Reyes, who you know I don't know what we're gonna get from him, but at least Gallegos, uh, he would be at least in my mind probably the next guy in line for the closer role. And um, so I do wonder potentially if you know Pons got the start because you. They thought we might need Kim to close out a game. They didn't want to, you know, Ponce is more of a long man in the bullpen anyways, um, except for the, the strange usage a few nights ago um, to get one out in the ninth. Um, so I do wonder, like, maybe it could be different the next time around, but I, I think Ponce has done well in the chances he's gotten. Um, I think, you know, Austin Gomber, to, to your point, did look good, um, and at least to, to my eyes in the interleague games, I thought, you know, the curveball was there. Um, and he's been pretty good or good enough kind of at, at each stop to to merit a chance, um, especially if you're only, yeah. you know, if it's only going to be, if you're going to be kind of rotating through a number of, of guys in that in that spot in the rotation. Um, getting to the guy that uh, Ponce replaced. So we lost Miles Michaelis, presumably, I don't know if it was official, but I assume that we lost him for the season. They've said. Okay. Yeah, they've said for the season. They say they said it's four months after surgery okay. before yeah, so you he, can start throwing. He's so. out for this year. Um, kind of the typical uh, beginning of the season. Cardinals lose a starter. This time we waited um, at least until the games counted to lose the starter. Um, but it nothing new. I think with Michaelis, <laughs> there were forearm issues back when we were in spring originally. He was going to miss the start of the season anyways. I don't know that this is that that's like terribly surprising news that a forearm strain turned into something more for a pitcher um but now you're left um you're left with your top four so yeah jack flaherty who obviously you're not worried about after that though you have um if we go in the order that they started i guess adam wainwright who um i have some concerns about with 
kind of just his ability to keep kind of stay afloat and get deep into games. Um, you have Dakota Hudson, which a uh, little bit polarizing because of the the fit versus ERA debate. And then Carlos Martinez um, is your number four. And with him, I'll, I'll start with him. Um, his velocity was, and it, it's only one start. We don't know, you know, how long he's going to take to ramp up. We don't know if he was doing anything on purpose to kind of preserve himself or protect himself. But his velocity in the first start was down about two miles an hour on average from where he used to be when he started. So um, I, I forget the exact numbers, but I think it was a, he normally averages about 95 um, on his four-seamer, like 92.5 on his sinker. He was down closer to like 91, 90.5. And, um, and it actually, yep. he, in each inning, he lost a little bit off of both of those pitches. So he ended up, uh, throughout the course of the start, he actually lost two miles an hour on both. So, you know, if the average was 93, he started at 94 and ended at 92. Um, whereas normally you see, you, you do see some losses games go on, but it's usually like a half mile per hour, maybe a full mile per hour. So he lost a little more than normal. Uh, he did have a long second inning that, you know, could have tired him out. Um, but, you know, we, we've been dealing with this now for a couple of years where there's con- definitely concern over whether Carlos Martinez's shoulder is healthy enough um, to to kind of to, to hold up to a starter's workload and to kind of return to the form that we used to we were used to seeing him. Um, I don't do you, I don't know the team hasn't reported anything to my knowledge regarding that. I don't know if you have yeah. Um, I, what, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. So no. So so yeah. What I what I would say about Carlos is just like so in watching him pitch the other night. I mean, it was like watching him toward the end of 2018 where he just he did yeah. just didn't have it right it didn't have that snap to anything um the stuff did not look like the way that you see it look when it, when it's coming out good and, and coming out solid the other thing about carlos that i thought was was interesting um there were a couple of like well so there were a couple of defensive plays that were pretty strange there's there's a foul pop to third base on the third baseline that carlos chased which I mean, arguably, okay, he's in a position where there was there was a shift on, so maybe there's a defensive play where he's supposed to, to track a pop-up. Then there's the dribbler to his left side where, yeah, okay, a pitcher's going to feel the ground ball up the middle, but he came pretty substantially off the mound in, in, in chasing that ball uh, and deflected it and, and it ended in a base hit. And the one that, that I think kind of got, got overlooked was the foul pop to Goldschmidt because that's the spot where with two runners on, like the defense is not set in a way where Carlos needs to be chasing after pop-ups. It's a foul pop, maybe 15 feet in the foul territory on the first baseline. And when Goldschmidt gets to that ball, Carlos is standing in the, in the first base coach's box. Uh, and I'm watching that play. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell he's doing. Like, it was just, it was, it was that weird situation where, and it's this, it's this really hard spot with Carlos. And I, I, I have, I have, I have legit concerns about the way that like we talk about him uh, and the way that we talk about the way that he is expressive and, and, and the way that he is himself, because he is to an extent just kind of a quirky, different kind of guy uh, and has been asked about this so much that, you know, when you talk to Carlos, he will even if the question is not about it, he will talk to you about his focus yeah. no matter what, because he's been asked so much and it has been focused on so much that for a guy whose who's English is good but limited, that's what he knows to say to reporters as well. My focus is good. My focus is good. Uh but I, but I don't know that it is. Like, I watch him on the mound, and it doesn't look like a guy who is dialed in, and it looks like a guy who's searching for it. And I don't I don't know. You know, maybe it's a situation where there is something physically there, but, I mean, they've had him checked and rechecked. He had a, you know, a cleanup procedure of some sort over the winter uh, that, that apparently would have addressed some of those issues. He says he's fine. He, you know, he apparently has checked out with them in any way that, that he could have checked out with them physically. But it's really hard to look at him and look at the stuff and be like, that's that's not the stuff yeah. that we've seen before, you know. And maybe it's that he's four years older and then sometimes guys just lose it, right? Uh, but if that's the case, then they yeah, should be I concerned. Think, um, you know, to me it seems like throughout the years, even when he was was pitching well, so back, let's say, like 2016, 2017, when he's throwing 190-plus innings of good, you know, good baseball – um, it still seemed like most times he was out, he only had one or two of, you know, his four pitches. So maybe it was the sinker and the slider 
Maybe one day it was the fastball and the changeup. Um, but it, it never – there's always just been the tantalizing prospect of, like, what happens if he goes out and has everything. Um, and I don't know if it's a mechanical thing. I don't know if, like, to your point, right. is it a – you know, maybe is it a focus thing. Um, it, it's hard to pin down, but it's something that he's always tantalized. And then now adding to that, you have the health concern. So for me, when it's like when you come out and you're throwing – you know, two miles an hour slower, you worry. I mean, we saw the Braves uh, re- totally release uh, Fulty when he came out, and that was a six or seven mile an hour gap. It was uh, a lot, a lot wider um, of a difference than what we're seeing than what we saw at the first start with Martinez. But it, it's the same concept. It's th- these guys that Martinez throws hard. He doesn't have the best command. Right. He's a stuff guy, um, and if he doesn't have the stuff anymore, he's going to struggle. And maybe he struggles, and he's a competent. You know, maybe he's a number four instead of a number two. But, you know, with Michaelis down, I think, you know, he's going to be the guy that we're going to look for to step up. And I don't know um, at this point in his career, whether it's age, whether it's focus, whether it's it's health, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know that he – I don't know that he has the ability to Yeah, to I don't – and I don't think they know either. It's the frustrating thing. Yeah, and I – yeah, he said I don't – I don't know that the organization knows whether he has the ability to do that anymore either. I think that they saw him show up in shape and healthy and, and the guy who had prepared coming into spring training and then over the summer break to, uh, you know, to, to take a spot. And they said, okay, you know what? You've earned it. You did your work. Uh, and, and we're going to put you in this spot. I don't know if you can go two more turns through the rotation with him being a guy who's going to struggle to get through five and, and top out at 91. Um, we'll see how it goes. I'm hoping I'm definitely going to be watching him. I was already going to be watching him closely, originally out of excitement and now out of a little bit of caution. Um, but it'll be interesting, nonetheless, to see yeah. how he looks the next time out and, and what they do if he if he doesn't doesn't look improved. Um, moving to another arm that uh, with uncertainty. So Alex Reyes, I don't know um, if he's when he's expected to join the team again, but there's a chance at least that he's going to contribute out of the bullpen this year. The Cardinals' bullpen so far has been pretty dominant. 18-plus uh, innings pitched at 0.98 ERA. We're seeing new and old faces contributing. So uh, John Gantz kind of picked up uh, back to where he was at the beginning of last year. Um, the new faces, Cody Whitley, has kind of taken uh, taken a prominent role so far and done well with it. Uh, Ryan Helsley's stepped up a little bit, and then we're going to have Gallegos coming back soon. Um, I guess he's already active i don't know if he's so Gallegos. Gallegos is yeah he actually uh he pitched he pitched two-thirds of an inning on tuesday night and looked like himself you know he yeah. touched it too bad so it's gonna be looked, looked good. um it seems like out of <laughs> after paying brett cecil uh greg holland dominic leone and paying in prospects and um in dollars to get established relievers now the cardinals in so you know five games of course have a pretty good-looking bullpen out of guys that you know don't have the name value john gantz a former kind of spot starter um, ryan helsley was always uh, a starting pitching prospect but never one of the top arms in the cardinal system and then cody whitley was a guy who i think was drafted in the 27th round that they just you know somebody just found um in the cardinals war room and so it, it's fun to see yeah. i know um kyle reese one of our prospect i loved cody whitley he told us in spring that he was going to be good. He told us in the, in summer camp that he was going to be good. And it's, it's awesome to see him coming out like that. Um, what of your, what are your first impressions? Um, yeah, we were a uh, unit and kind of what are your expectations now um, for them going forward? My, so my, my, my first impressions, I was, uh, I was, I was texting with one of the reporters who's not on this trip uh, last night. And I, I was joking around and I said that, you know, it's really going to be, it's really bad for our jobs if Cody Whitley pitches so well that they end up non tendering John Brevia coming out of Tommy John. Like, that's going to be a bummer for us in terms of quote gathering and having a funny guy to talk to. Uh, but I mean, but, but, but Whitley has been that good thus far and definitely is a guy who has pitched himself into a position where, uh, you know, where, where Chilt, I think, trusts him, likes him a lot. But the interesting thing to me with the bullpen is that when they got to summer camp, uh, and they had a pretty good idea that they weren't going to have Gallegos at least for a while. It looked like, and then it had every appearance that they were setting up some combination of Helsley and Junior Fernandez to compete for the ninth inning. Uh, and I think that you know, 
you saw Junior definitely struggled throughout summer camp, has looked a little better in his more recent appearances, but, you know, is relegated sort of at this point to being the ninth or tenth reliever in that bullpen. Um, Helsley was a little more uneven. He had a, so he had some higher highs, but also had a couple of rocky spots, and I think that they probably didn't see quite enough uh, to, to trust him kind of where they would like to. But he's he's going to be around, and he's going to be a contributor in the, out of that bullpen for the entirety of the season. The, the question about Alex Reyes is a really interesting one because I think that, you know, the, talk about, when we talk about guys who have just all of the potential and just the widest possible delta for possible outcomes, it's absolutely Alex Reyes. And, and, and before all of this happened, and when we were at spring training, I was having a conversation with somebody, and I said, if, if you told me today, and this was February, that, that Alex Reyes was going to end up leading the 2020 Cardinals in wins and second on the team in innings pitched, I would go, yeah, okay. Uh, and if you had told me on that same day that Alex Reyes was going to pitch four innings in a big league this year, I would have gone, yeah, okay. Uh, and I, because I just, I have no idea. I have no idea how to evaluate him. It's it's impossible at this point. The last time we saw him, he had, you know, he had just no feel, no control uh, in the major leagues last year. Had some of those issues the same way in, in spring this year, but by the time things wound down, was really settling in and was clearly going to break camp yeah. with the team. Uh, coming out, coming out of spring training this year, four things went haywire. And so, uh, you know, when 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 Schilt was kind of asked yesterday about whether or not, like, what he was asked was if you could look at both Cabrera and Reyes as being on a minor league rehab assignment right now, and, and if they have guaranteed spots in the major league bullpen when they come back. And he 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 stopped short of that um, because I think that maybe Reyes would have a spot guaranteed, and Cabrera would be more of an as needed issue especially given how well Gomber has pitched. Uh, it, it would be hard to find a spot for a fifth yeah. lefty maybe in that bullpen right now. Um, but I think you'll see Alex Reyes maybe as soon as when they get back to Bush uh, yeah. from and Detroit next week. The thing with me for Alex Reyes is even maybe it was 2018 when he kind of tore through the minor leagues, looked just as good as he had, or you know maybe even better coming up after the first injury. And just he got the first start at Milwaukee – started out great and by the end of it you know he was back on the injured list for for the rest of that season kind of carried some issues into the next year um it's been it's been tough because he's he's so another guy like if you would have if you would have said um you know five years ago or six years ago maybe now between alex reyes and oscar Tavares that neither was going to really have contributed to uh this team in a meaningful way um and they still you know have have been in playoff contention. They won the division last year. I, I would have thought that was crazy. I mean, getting getting good value out of your top talents, um, you know, in their cost control years is huge. And the Cardinals have somehow uh, managed to get by. And obviously, two very different reasons for those guys, um, you know, not not contributing to this point. But right, um, not to make light of. I mean, with with Alex, like, no, 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 uh, no. With with Alex, like. He pitched in that AAA rehab start, struck out nine consecutive hitters in that game, and tore his labrum in that game. He was pitching with a torn shoulder while pitching that game, came to Milwaukee injured, knew he was injured, started that game anyway, and threw four scoreless innings in Milwaukee and started that game throwing like 94. Now he was down to like 86 when they pulled him out of the game uh, in the fourth, and clearly something was wrong. But the the just the raw ability and and the pitching knowledge the IQ the skill the precision that it takes to to throw four shutout innings with in the big leagues shoulder. with a torn shoulder labrum is yeah, outrageous. I I hope insane. Uh, you know, with everything that he's gone through, that he does get a chance um, at some point this year to kind of prove that he still belongs. But we'll see. He's going to be joining what so far. Like we said, been a strong unit. So we'll uh, we'll see where it goes. Jeff, thanks for joining me. Um, we're gonna tra- I'm gonna transition over to a few things that I wanted to test out for the broadcast. Um, again, thank you so much um, on short notice. Appreciate uh, the insight, the Carlson news. Um, even though I don't love the Carlson news, appreciate that we were able to get that update. Um, and uh, look forward to having you on again uh, sometime in the future. 
Happily, thank you. You saved me from a very boring evening staring out the window uh, at the people eating Italian food on the sidewalk. I'm surprised, the that, uh, I'm surprised that they're able to do that with everything going on in the world. So, uh, well, hopefully enjoy the rest of your night, even if it is just staring at the window or the wall. All right, so again, thanks to Jeff. Um, so now we'll kind of transition over uh, to our normal uh, setup. Going to try a few things out today. There are a few guys I want to talk about. So we'll start. Um, any any comments you guys have, uh, feel free to throw those in. Uh, questions, comments, whatever. We can kind of pick this up to the normal uh, the normal Periscope routine. Um, for me, starting with Tyler O'Neill, I think he's been one of the uh, more surprising um, kind of positives early in the year. So he was a guy that... You know, we traded away Marco Gonzalez, um, and who's already gone on to be a pretty good. Um, Kyle asked, "Where's Archer? Archer is asleep in his crate. He had a very long day of being very ornery, so he he uh, is taking a nap, so he does not tear up everything in my room while I do the periscope. Um, so far, he's being a very good boy. So we'll see if that lasts. Uh, so Tyler O'Neill, he my." The concern with him was always, I think, um, and Kyle could speak to this better than I could, but I think the concern was always going to be, was he going to make enough contact? Um, and was he going to make feel, going to be able to make enough solid contact to take advantage of his power to turn into uh, you know, a competent, average or better major league hitter? Uh, so one of the things I do when I'm looking at plate discipline, and plate discipline has been, for Tyler O'Neill, one of the things he does better um, in the minor leagues, he always carried pretty high walk rates and, you know, in the double digits um, and struggled to replicate that in the major. So one of the things that I look at usually for for uh, um, for hitters is looking at how much they chase um, out of the zone compared to how much they swing at pitches in the zone. So, I'll, you know, you're obviously swinging at strikes is good. Swinging at balls is bad. It's not that simple, but that's kind of an easy, uh, easy way to look at it. There were there are a hundred and let's see 87 hitters who have um who took like 150 plate appearances in 2019 which is what tyler o'neill had um and then at least 15 because we're dealing with tiny samples um so all this gets bracketed um in the tiny sample font um 187 hitters that have um through yesterday had 150 plate appearances last year and another 15 this year uh so far Tyler O'Neill has improved his uh, zone swing. I'm calling it Z minus O. So again, swings in the zone, um, less your chase rate by 9.3%, which is the 37th biggest gain out of 187, uh, 187 players that qualified for this list. Uh, it was even bigger before last night. He chased a few out of the zone last night. He took a few in the zone last night. It got a lot smaller. He was one of the top handful in this list. The other thing he's done he's making a ton more contact. So last year he ran a contact rate of 61%. So when he swung, he only hit the ball six out of 10 times. The major league average is about 75 to 80%. Um, so well below league average. We're talking like Joey Gallo territory, but without um, you know the consistent power that you see out of Joey Gallo, without the patience that you see out of Joey Gallo, we just saw a lot of whips. This year, and again, in four or five games, he's up to 82%, which... I, he's not going to stay at 82%. That's an above average rate. That's, you know, I think trying to think of a comp that, that makes that much contact. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's not something that he's going to do long term. But if he can, it's a good sign that he can get, you know, can he get to that 75% and that's where he's going to play? I, it, it's a good early sign. Hopefully it sticks. You need probably even more than 60 games to kind of make any um, any proclamations on you know, the metrics that we're going to be looking at throughout the year. Uh, but it, but th there is going to be some signal in noise. It's just kind of deciphering one from the other. Um, for Tyler O'Neill, we're hoping that uh, that the early trends continue. The next guy I wanted to talk about uh, was Lane Thomas. So I just recently wrote about him uh, the other day, kind of projecting or trying to guess, you know, whether he could outperform basically outperform Harrison Bader offensively, which again, it's a, you know, that's a pretty low bar um, so far this season, but Lane Thomas isn't projected to be that great of a hitter uh, by the projection system. Steamer 
is the most optimistic about him. And they have him basically hitting about like Harrison Bader has for his entire career um, on average. So for, for Lane Thomas, one of the things I looked at was when he, um, when he was in the minor leagues, he whiffed, uh, he had like an above or a better than average whiff rate. So he whiffed less than, um, you know, less than the average minor leaguer at double A and triple A, but then he still struck out more than that. The other thing I wanted to look at, and uh, there was a, I think it's Dylan Carlson. uh, What's, let me look up his handle. um, If I can find it. Dylan Carlson, Lockbeast season on Twitter. Dylan Carlson fan pointed out to me that they have exit velocity, um, average and max for minor leaguers um, posted on on Fangraph's uh, scouting board. So I looked at that. Uh, I, I don't know exactly where they pulled that from, but what they had for Lane Thomas matched up with what he did in the major leagues last season. Um, his max exit velocity was 108 miles per hour. I think he hit one that was, I think his hardest hit was about 108.5 or something like that, which obviously is hard. There's not, uh, most major leaguers, I would say, probably more than half uh, can get above that threshold, but it's still hitting hard. Uh, and Lane Thomas got consistently in the 105 to 108 range, um, which was something when Car- when Jose Martinez first came up uh, that got me excited about him. For Lane, t- since then, um, Connor Kirkin is, I hope I said his last name right, uh, he developed a stat or a metric called True Woba, which basically takes, uh, or True Hit, he, you know, depending on which, which version you're looking at, we'll call it True Hit. It basically tries to determine based on launch angle, how impressive um, a given exit velocity is, like what does that tell you about the hitter's, uh, hitter's you know, power potential? Um, because hitting, you know, if you're able to hit a pop-up 95 miles an hour straight up in the air, uh, is that actually more impressive than somebody who hits a line drive 105 miles per hour? Because um, obviously, you know, to hit a pop-up that high, you're mishitting it and still hitting it 95. He has a way... Um, to he you know he calculates this in the background he publishes the results but to give you guys a sense of kind of what we're looking at i i took lane thomas's and hopefully you can see this on the screen lane thomas's hardest batted ball last year was 108 uh, mile per hour single that drove in a couple runs in a game that the cardinals i think ended up winning i hope they ended up winning based on the score and the question is if lane thomas is able to do that on a line drive is that more impressive than you know this joey gallo pop-up which was hit um, I think it was 105 miles per hour straight up the chute. Uh, there's only been one ball hit like that that was hit harder, and it was by Freddie Freeman um, in 2016. So kind of looking at that, Lane Thomas uh, hit that single at, um, let's see, 108.7 miles per hour in a nine-degree launch angle. Based on the math and kind of estimating, you know, where, where that is on the chart, the mat, the hardest you could hit a ball. So basically what Giancarlo Stanton did to the ball um, earlier this week is about 120 to 122 miles per hour. So Lane Thomas is, you know, still 15 miles per hour behind that. And I went through um, each of his top few batted balls uh, and he's consistently 13, 14 miles per hour. So he's hitting them hard, but he's hitting them on a line. And I think that the question is, you know, Sure, he hits the ball hard, but is he able to hit the ball hard um, at the angles where they can be productive? Because, you know, 109 miles per hour is great. The one that he hit was a single this time. A lot of, you know, sometimes that's right at somebody and it's an out. Um, It's, you know, it's just you're trying to kind of guess where that falls. And the good news for Lane Thomas is that um, even in small samples, uh, true hit is actually a pretty good indicator um, or correlates well year over year. So even at 30 batted balls, there's a pretty good chance that uh, Lane Thomas's like true hit um, will, you know, that that's a pretty decent representation of where he is. And his true hit was actually better than his ex-Woba last year. So for me, the issue comes down to, you know, we're dealing with 30 batted balls. So the sample's small, but the, the signs are positive. The predictive signs, even at that, even at that small, that small, um, of a sample are still pretty strong. So we'll see. Um, I'm hopeful. I think more hopeful now than I was maybe a week ago that Lane Thomas can keep up 
Um, you know, what we saw last year, the team is obviously excited um, that he's there. So we'll, you know, hopefully he gets his, hopefully he gets some opportunities um, and hopefully he makes the most of them because the Cardinals obviously are pretty starved um, for offense right now. Uh, Dylan doesn't have to start right now to be on the team. Wouldn't he be a top two bench bat? Uh, probably. I mean, I think, yeah, he'd, I mean, the Cardinals don't have like a second average hitter on the bench. Like maybe Ravello against lefties is good. Um, but I, you know, the, the Cardinals are lacking for productive bats to, to put it lightly. Um, Kyle, hasn't that measurement kind of pan, been kind of panned in regards to rookies prospect? Um, I'm not totally sure. He, all I've seen is that he tested it in pretty small samples and I ran using his data, just a quick check, um, you know, on even smaller samples and it seems like it holds well, but again, you're dealing with guys that we, we have no idea. Like if 109 miles per hour is really the hardest Lane Thomas can hit a ball. Uh, it's the hardest he hit it in the first 30 that he hit. Um, so maybe that's a good sign. Uh, but yeah, we do, we just don't, I think, you know, we're going to have to see, well, should I think have a pretty good sense, um, at least according to that on where he sits by the end of this year. Um, I guess the last thing I wanted to talk about, so the Cardinals um, watching the game, so it's been great watching baseball again. It seems like, at least when I was watching, that the Cardinals, um, if you include cutters, so they're at 58% last year um, for fastball usage. Across the league so far this year, fastball usage is down 2.5%. So even you know going from 58 to 46 isn't just the league deciding they're going to throw a lot more breaking balls um, in a shorter season. It's, you know, there's a specific... Um, specific attack plan for the Cardinals that these teams are executing by basically avoiding the fastball. So um, we'll see if the trend continues. It's a bad sign right now. Uh, it may very likely just be small sample stuff. Um, it might be a reflection of the pitchers they face. Um, you know, if you've only faced five pitchers and the five pitchers you face are Rich Hill, you're going to see a lot of curveballs, right? Um, so hopefully, you know, that'll kind of even out going forward. Um, but I'm left wondering, um, it, uh, is it just you or is Periscope having issues tonight? Uh, it's probably me, to be honest. Uh, I have technical issues every time I do this, and I'm trying to stream something through um, through OBS. So it's probably me, but you know, we'll uh, we'll keep it keep it working. Hopefully, um, hopefully most get hopefully most people can kind of keep this steady. Um, but again, so I'm wondering, you know. The Cardinals aren't seeing fastballs. It's obviously the scouting report that the first few teams have had on them. And so kind of trying to figure out where that came from um, is a little tough. Obviously, there's a game plan. Analyzing how players and teams perform against pitches is tough because you can't use your traditional stats like batting average. You can't use WOBA. Um, and even, honestly, contact rate, whiff rate uh, are tough because the count matters uh, sometimes a whiff is better than contact. Yeah, we, what we really want to see, um, at least the simplest way for me to look at, it is the linear run values that are on fan graphs. So that basically says before and after a pitch, what's run expectancy, and that was what you know you did on that pitch. If run expectancy is zero and you hit a home run and that's worth an extra one run, you get a one. Um, if you make an out, you get a negative one, essentially. Um, so last year, the Cardinals were plus 42 runs um, against fastballs, uh, which was, you know, a, about a little above average. Most teams hit fastballs well. The Cardinals were plus 42. Against everything else, they were negative. So against sliders, change-ups, split fingers, knuckleballs, I don't even, I don't know if they faced a knuckleball last year, curveballs, um, they were negative against every other pitch except fastballs. Um, there were only three other teams that were positive um, against fastballs and negative against everything else. And the other three teams were the Giants, the Orioles, and the Marlins. Um, that's not company that you want to keep um, if you want to score runs. The Giants were terrible. The Orioles were terrible. The Marlins were terrible. Um, the Cardinals offense last year got by, but it wasn't, um, you know, they, they had to hunt fastballs to be productive. Uh, they were minus 33 runs against sliders and minus 30 against changeups. So if you compare um, kind of their plus 42 against fastballs 
to their minus 63 against those off-speed pitches. It was the largest gap between fastballs and non-fastballs of any team um, in the major leagues, on at least on a per-pitch basis and third largest um, just aggregated. Um, and so then, then you kind of wonder, like, what happens? Uh, you know, what are the Cardinals hitters doing when they're getting, you know, when they're being attacked like this? Well, um, against breaking balls in the zone, there were called strikes 27.5% of the time, um, which was the fourth highest rate in baseball. So when they get when they get breaking balls in the zone, they aren't swinging. When they did swing, they whiffed a lot, uh, 22% seventh highest, or they hit foul balls, which again is a you know it, it's a strike for the pitcher in most cases. Um, they hit foul balls almost 38% of the time, which was the highest in the major leagues. And so if you put all that together, if a pitcher threw a slider or changeup in the strike zone, which major league hitters still hit off speed in the zone, and it, you know it's their their production on contact against um, off speed pitches in the zone is still is still strong. It's not like they're hitting a fastball, but it's not usually where you want them making contact. Um, but if you if you threw one in the zone against the Cardinals, that you earned a strike. Um, 71% of the time and 66% was league average. So call that the strike rate. Um, seven out of 10 times you throw it in the zone, you get a, you, the pitcher gets a strike this year. That's all the way up to 78%. So that's second worst in all of baseball behind Oakland only so far, eight out of 10 times when a pitcher's throwing a breaking ball, the Cardinals either follow it off whiff on it or take it for a called strike. Um, and that's, you know, that's not going to be it when pitchers are all of a sudden throwing 55% off speed. Um, you got to You got to figure out a way to put it in play and be productive against it. Um, against fastballs, they're, um, they're definitely more aggressive. So they swing at 70% of fastballs in the zone, uh, but they also chase about 30% of fastballs outside the zone. Um, <laughs> Kyle, uh, thank you, Kyle. I hope you enjoy your next uh, 30 seconds. Um, this spans two hitting coaches. Uh, no, I think it's both Jeff Albert um, last year and this year. Um, so, but against fastball, they're swinging at the ones in the zone. They're also chasing outside the zone. Um, you know, it's not. I, I don't know that there's a great plan of attack. I, I think they're waiting to see fastballs. I think the game plan is to attack fastballs. Um, they need to figure out how to, um, you know, how to figure out to be productive against off speed. Maybe they don't have the hitters. Maybe they need to be more selective at the fastballs they do swing at. Um, and I think maybe they need to attack earlier in the count when they are getting pitches in the zone to hit when pitchers are trying to get ahead. Um, it, it's troubling early. Again, it's, it's five games, but um, in a 60 game season, five games means a lot more. There's not time to really kind of work these things out. Like the Cardinals have done year in and year out where, you know, through 60 games, maybe they're slow and then they turn it on. It, it's 16 you're done luckily um the playoffs this year are six 16 teams making the playoffs the cardinals can probably float along maybe even be below 500 and still make it um so i mean there's at least that so maybe they'll figure it out uh it, around game 65 i hope i guess um yeah every pitcher in the league knows just that they're a junk at the cardinals that's true it's true for matt carpenter uh so he carpenter bader are probably the, the best examples of it carpenter's seeing like um, I think it's like 33% fastballs or something right now. And Bader, Bader's in the same territory. They'll, the guys who see 33% fastballs are usually the guys that don't know the difference between a, between a breaking ball and a fastball. You do that, uh, I think Puig saw a ton of breaking balls when he first um, came over to the U.S. This year, Luis Roberts seeing a ton of breaking balls, um, both because pitchers fear him and because um, they're trying to get him to chase, and they're seeing if he if he recognizes the difference between, you know, a major league fastball and a major league breaking ball. Um, you don't see guys like Matt Carpenter seeing you know two out of three pitches being junk unless there's unless there's a book. And for Carpenter, uh, you know, pitchers know now that he can't hit. He doesn't hit off speed well, and he's not going to try to hit it. Um, he doesn't hit high fastballs well. So when you throw him a fastball, you you got to elevate it. Uh, I think he's in trouble for 2020 because he's kind of a one-trick pony. Um, that trick was always hitting kind of middle in, fastballs below his waist. Uh, pitchers figured it out, and 
un- until he until he adjusts to you know be able. I think he's probably got to go back to letting the ball get deeper, trying to you know drive the ball in a line the other way. But that's so much easier said than done. Um, one for a guy who's almost 35 years old, um, and two for a guy that's been a really good power hitter uh, for really most of the last five or six years. Um, we'll see what happens. I, 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 you know, I think he's going to be pretty key to the Cardinals offense um, this year. You know, he's one of the few guys that I would have said before the season, I expected above average production out of. And so far, you know, we haven't really been getting it. Um, Bader, you know, seeing the same, same similar story, um, different cause um, pitchers are throwing him off speed because he doesn't know <laughs> the difference between a fastball in the zone and a slider that's going to break out. Um, so that's been uh, a tough start for him. One of the things with Bader, and I know everybody wants to point at the Sergio Romo um, at bat where he, I think he saw like five sliders um, and, you know, struck out. We were down three. The chances were so low anyways. But I wanted to look at him a little bit. So he, last year, all of his issues are, you know, with pitches in the heart of the plate. Um, this is something I wrote about in the spring. We always talk about with Bader, the plate discipline. We always say, like, if he could just lay off the stuff that's out of the zone. If you're looking at this graphic, he was in the outer edges, plus 20 runs um, in 20, 22 runs in 2018 at the outer edges, which is mostly just taking, um, you know, not swinging at balls. And then he was plus last year in 2019, he was plus 20 in those zones. In the edges, which is where, you know, a lot of times those sliders end up where they start in the zone and they, they break a little bit off. He stayed, he was minus 20 in 2018, minus 18 in, in 2019. So he didn't get, you know, he kind of stayed the same on the on the edges, um, on the edges of the strike zone and then outside of it. You know, overall, he's pretty much a wash there. The issue is the stuff right down the middle. He went from plus one runs, which is average, which for Bader is fine, to minus eight. And a lot of that was not swinging. He doesn't swing... At fastballs um, down the middle, he doesn't swing at breaking balls down the middle. I was talking to, um, I pointed this out um, in the morning, uh, or a couple mornings ago. He, in 2019, swung at only 50, I think it was 58% of fastballs that were literally down the middle. Like, the only pitch that Bader can probably hit well, um, you know, consistently, he only swung at 58% of them. That was the lowest rate in all of Major League Baseball. At the same time, he only swung he swung at 56% of sliders down the middle, which for Bader, a slider, I, he has to swing at some of them. But you should be swinging a lot more um, at fastballs down the middle than sliders down the middle if you're Harrison Bader. And I think for him, there's so much of just, to me, when I watch him, I think he's lost. I don't know if he's so focused on approach that he's kind of getting, um, maybe getting overwhelmed by what he's trying to do. Um, but it, 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 there's just something that, you know, it, for him, the game, I think needs to, needs to be simplified. You see the ball down the middle, you got to pull the trigger. Um, I wrote about it in spring training. You know, we talk all the time about how pitchers, uh, or how hitters need to sometimes take what the pitchers give them. Pitchers give Bader fastballs early in the count down the middle stuff that he can hit, but he's just not looking for it. Um, is it a tell that he's guessing, guessing each pitch and not just reacting probably uh, that would be that would be my guess that he's like you know if he's he's trying to deciding before pitch like oh I'm sitting this um you know if he's sitting fastball and he sees a slider if he's sitting breaking ball and he sees a fastball he's just not going to pull the trigger um but yeah I, it's it's tough I mean he's he's a guy that honestly he should swing a lot early in the count he's not a guy that's going to stay alive once he's down you know 02 one two he doesn't have the discipline to lay off lay off the the sliders that you know we've seen. So when he gets fastballs down the middle early in the counts, he needs to take advantage of those. He didn't last year. I think this year he's only swung at like one out of four fastballs down the middle, which again, four we're talking stupid stupid small samples. But he should swing at four out of four fastballs down the middle. There's no reason for Bader to ever watch a fastball go down the middle um, after the way he was attacked last year. So I think, you know, there was some talk. Um, I think Mark Saxon uh, was on the radio today basically saying, you know, the talk all offseason was that Bader had kind of, you know, the approach was going to be different. It was going to be kind of focused on going the other way, 
and, and I just don't think that early on in the season we're seeing that. It's we're seeing the same this not even the same guy we saw in twenty eighteen. The guy in twenty eighteen at least, you know, he he produced. Maybe it wasn't a sustain it wasn't like a sustainable um method but like he was never going to be like 10 percent above average for very long i don't think but you know he's a, a billy hamilton almost pitcher like black hole right now um and so i i think you know he for him he's got to simplify if he's going to guess he needs he should guess fastball over the heart of the plate first pitch until until pitchers go away from that um well uh we'll see if he adjusts i don't have a lot of confidence i think uh that you know the scouting report the team's got to know it um it you know i mean i found it so it's it's out there um and he's got to attack so we'll see um i love his defense the thing is you're you know you're trading off down to lane thomas probably uh the defense is still going to be there with lane thomas um i think at some point you just got to give give another guy a chance you only have 60 games maybe bader figures it out um, in the long term, but right now, right now he looks lost. Um, and as much as I want him to kind of hang in the starting lineup, he can be such a valuable player um, when he's when he's on, even if he's just an average hitter, even slightly worse. Um, but it's not there right now, and I don't, you know, I don't expect it to be there in a week. Um, his base stealing and running isn't a plus plus either. His he's been like I get on him. I get like I tweeted at tweet out uh, early in the week that thought Bader was like the worst base runner I'd ever seen. Um, I got a bunch of Borges reminders. He's actually been a lot better than I give him credit for. Like he was plus seven on the bases last year. Um, you know, you, he's, he's good on the bases. Maybe he's a little underperforming for like what we expect because he's so fast. Um, I guess last year he was average. So yeah, last year was disappointing, but year before he was plus seven um, on the bases and, I don't know. I mean, even last year, he had an he hit 205, and he was still worth almost two war in, like, half a season. Uh, he's just got to be okay at the plate, and he and he's an incredibly valuable player. And, you know, he, he's hitting 091. Uh, he, he doesn't have the pop right now. It's just it, it's a tough look for a guy who, you know, I think the Cardinals wanted to succeed. Um, you know, they, they had him on the face of some marketing uh early on obviously as a fan you want every player to succeed i think you know at least for for me and probably for a lot of younger fans he's a really likable guy like he's exciting he makes a lot of great plays he looks like he's having fun when things are going well uh but so far it's been uh it's been a tough start to 2020 for him and i think a lot of that is just coming from him not adjusting to the way pitchers are attacking him not being aggressive enough on fastballs um to make up for you know, he's never going to have great plate discipline. Um, I think that's something that, you know, you got to come, that he has to come to grips with is he's not going to be able uh, to tell the difference between a slider that's going to fall off and a fastball that's going to hang on the corner. He's just got to hit the fastballs that he sees that end up staying there. Um, do you think Mo didn't call up Carlson today just to prove service time wasn't the reason? Uh, yeah, I would not doubt that at all. Um Jeff earlier, uh, when Jeff was on, he said, you know, Dylan Carlson is in Springfield. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's expected to make a trip to Milwaukee over the weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Dylan Carlson right now is, based on what we've seen, probably uh, he's at least one of the Cardinals' best three outfielders, uh, whether you want to put him over um, O'Neal or not O'Neal. O'Neal's been playing well. Um whether you want to put him over Fowler, Bader, and Thomas, or just two of the three, uh, he's def Carlson would definitely be uh, in the top three out three outfielders right now. So yeah, I don't know. You start for offense. You have a guy um, in Carlson that you know put up numbers, really great numbers uh, at every stop he's been over the last few years. And last year he was uh, in Triple A, limited sample, but he hit 360 in Triple A. He picked up right where he left off in spring training. He picked up again, I think, pretty well in summer camp. Uh, even the projections at this point have him as a better hitter than Lane Thomas, Harrison Bader, and Dexter Fowler. Um, and the projections probably underrate uh, underrate what he what I would expect at least from him at the plate. I don't think he's going to be a world beater. He's still young. 
He's still got a lot to learn. He hasn't played much at all above double A. Uh, there's going to be an adjustment period, but yeah, you got it. You got to give him a chance. You have 60 games. You got to bet on the talent at some point. Um, I wish the Cardinals would have done that. Uh, I think they honestly, I think given the structure, they did the right thing to keep him down for the first five games. Um, as a Cardinals fan, uh, I'll take the five games for you know 162 in seven years uh but yeah you i really expected to see him in game six um and, and i'm disappointed that he's not i i think the, maybe they're worried that schilt would would kind of bank would lean too heavily on on fowler and bader to make it not worth bringing up carlson and starting the clock but um i think you know if you're if you're mosaic you got to put him on the roster you got to put a call in and say hey this guy needs to play um it didn't happen. Uh, hopefully, you know, it doesn't sound like it's going to happen this weekend, but maybe maybe they're waiting for the next homestand to kind of ease him into it. Uh, maybe we'll see him the, the next time they're in St. Louis. I don't know. It, to me, it, to me, it's pretty inexplicable. I think, you know, anybody watching the Cardinals outfield knows um, that Carlson is probably better than Fowler, Bader, and uh, Thomas, at least at this point. So it's disappointing. But hopefully we see him soon. Hopefully baseball uh, continues. I don't totally, I don't have a lot of confidence. Uh, like I said at the start of the show, MLB's moving. Uh, they're going to introduce seven inning double headers, which just sounds like they're really worried about um, about baseball being able to get played. So don't know. Uh, baseball's going. I don't know that we're out of the woods. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can get through the season. Uh, and see how it goes. So with that, um, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, it's good to be back for as long as it lasts doing, doing the podcast and talking about actual real baseball. Um, even if the Cardinals are struggling out of the gates. Um, so thanks again. And, uh, we'll be doing this as long as baseball is going, we'll be back to at least a weekly schedule. Um, usually based on Cardinals off days, um, sometimes on the getaway days. So, with that, um, again, thank you guys. Uh, appreciate um, you know everybody that tunes in. Listen, we'll we'll have the podcast I hope up uh, by tomorrow, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. Um, thanks again.